but it's so thick and juicy and <laughs> shut up Brad. hello and welcome i'm steve and i think to put lentils in soup and i love soup and this is Fools of Tools, a podcast for the grim bribber with a golden gun. Uh, at, what's a grim what What's one of them? A grim bribber. Oh. It's uh, like yeah. a, a lawyer. Yeah. There you go. Um, speaking of lawyers, uh, Brett, what's your week been like? I am <laughs> a lawyer, indeed. <laughs> anyway... Uh, yeah, since last we spoke, I've just been working on more of the fossil stuff, doing a lot of hot and cold forming of steel, and had Jane and Dan in the shop. They got to forge a little bit, and we did another, a better uh, S-hook class than Steve, and that's all I was told the entire time, is how much better it was. So, I got that going for me, and... (laughs) Uh, last minute little random thing is that Mr. Donovan from Once Upon a Workbench uh, messaged me because he's working on our little not-so-secret project that was started a year and a half ago. (laughs) If you guys remember me even talking about it, he's remaking a, it's a save point in God of War called a Jotnerstrine, and he was doing all the woodwork and he asked me if I would do the steelwork for it. And a series of unfortunate events uh, took place that pushed it back to him doing it now. But adequately, in time for Ragnarok, the new God of War game to come out. So hopefully by the time this episode comes out, we will both have video done, videos done. Uh, because I had to figure out where the hell I put all that footage. And I started editing it the other night. And I'm... I'm damn near close to done. So they should both be ready. Nice. I think he's aiming for a... So you d- you didn't have to do any actual um, making as such. You already did that part of it, and it's just the video that you've, you're you putting out. Oh, yeah. I didn't have to make anything except for I made it all a year and a half ago, Steve. Yeah, what no, are you talking that, about? That's, <laughs> that's what I meant for fuck's sakes. I, I, I don't think I could have been any more clear. So you didn't have to do any making, like... This week, it was just getting the the video sorted. Correct. This is just the cool. <laughs> like, oh, I've been holding on to it for a while, waiting for him to tell me. So yeah, it has just been one of the quicker edits that I've put together. Just like, okay, I'm on a timeline now. I have to get it done. Yeah, and just smashing through it. And we're gonna get to see a uh, year ago, Brett. Which will be oh, I did make a joke. So sweet and so young. I made a joke that I cut out uh, because. I have my. I had a little resin cast of Kratos that I used in yeah. the shots and everything like that. And I had planned on doing a little voiceover for him and trying to do my best Kratos dad voice. Uh, and at one point he calls me boy, because that's a recurring joke in the new games. And I go, stop yeah. calling me boy, I'm 35. I'll be 37 soon. <laughs> that's how long ago I filmed everything. Uh, so I cut the 35 point out. Yeah. Anywho, that's it for me. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Al, what about you? Um, so fans of um, anti-disestablishment... Uh, terrorism? No, just terrorism. Oh. <laughs> um, and and celebrating it annually through the, through the medium of fire, oh, yes. fireworks. Um, 
I, I'm sure I've talked about this before. My friends uh, got a bit of woodland that they manage yeah. uh, up in the lakes. Um, and we go there every year and light fires and set fireworks off in this piece of woodland that they manage, <laughs> which I appreciate sounds like a, <laughs> a very irresponsible way to manage woodland. But given how fucking damp England is, we're not yeah. going to start any forest fires. And they have yet to so far. And they are basically, they're twins and they're both pyromaniacs. And the fact that not, there's been no damage at all is testament yeah. to that. Um, so a lovely little bit of camping. Very nice. Um, and then, as is tradition, as I haven't spoken to you for a week, I've bought a car. Um, and sense. basically, uh, it's my dream car. Um, to some people, I'm pretty sure you say that about every car no, you no, buy. No, 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 no. My favourite car is different to my dream car, Steve. What's, what's the dream car? Um, it is quite niche. Uh, it is a Proton Saga, and to, <laughs> and, and to our our colonial um, traitors that may have been like a late eighties or early nineties Mitsubishi Mirage, Brett, or maybe a Dodge Colt, depending on what what they were feeling like when they were badging it. Um, I'm looking it up right I'm, now. And basically, I wanted one since I was a kid. Yeah. And the reason I wanted one since I was a kid is because it looks like a car that you draw when you're a kid. <laughs> like the classic <laughs> box shape with the sloping yeah. roof. Oh my God. Why the... is this your dream car? Because <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Um, and I was going to buy one when I was 16 and had my provisional license. And it was going to be my first car. Yeah. I had a brain seizure and wasn't allowed to drive. So yeah, of course, yeah. until my late twenties, and then so now one has turned up on Facebook. The problem is they were all made of like thirty-six gauge steel, so they, yeah. they've all dis- every single one of them is disintegrated. There's mm. none left, um, and I found one that's got eight thousand miles on it, genuine miles since nineteen ninety-one, and it fucking is fucking hell. immaculate. It is absolutely spotless, um, so it is on its way. And for those of you thinking, Al, you've already got too many cars. I did get rid of a car this morning. Um, so one of, the, one? one of the Vitaras that was actually a parts car um, okay. definitely definitely was never ever going back on the road because it was fucked Yeah, stripped it completely out so everything, seats, engine, gearbox wiring, fuel tank everything's, the only things left is the body and the chassis and it yeah. it, it went to the scrap heap in the, in the, in the scrap heap in the heaven? scrap heap in the sky <laughs> scrap heap in the sky this morning um, which was cathartic uh, yeah. and satisfying yeah, so now rather than having everything in a like compact, like fucking Mitsubishi shaped thing, you've now no wait Suzuki shaped thing, you've now just got all of those parts exploded all around your house and garden. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, some of them are being washed, some of them are drying on the radiator, some of them are in the dishwasher. What can you do, Steve? <laughs> sake. I mean, the the really fun oh. thing about this car, Al, is not that they were made totally totally different, but. My very first car was a late 80s, early 90s Corsica, Chevy Corsica. Not far off from what's going on here in these photos. They're quite similar. Ooh, yes. Quite similar. I like it. And that was my first car. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It drove a treat the entire time I had it. It had very low miles on it, and it had no bells and whistles. Yep. I love that car. It was also unkillable. I hit a rock. A giant fucking rock with that car. And we went and got the alignment fixed and it was fine. (laughs) So, weirdly enough, my first car looked very similar. But mine was a uh, Ford Escort Mark III. Ooh. The the boxy shaped one. Very nice. It was great. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, but this one's called a but, proton. I mean, what a cool, yeah. what a cool car. Not you obviously don't know protons very well. <laughs> Incredibly reliable. You had me just as, made of made of rust. Yeah, you yeah. had me at thirty six gauge. Yeah, you can steel. always rely on them to rust. Um. So yeah, other than buying uh, cars that you obviously desperately needed, what else have you been up to? Stripping out cars and selling cars. Okay, okay so that, that's it. Also, that's I assume he's been moving cool. uh, shops with this company as his tradition. Shop move is complete. Yeah. Oh, nice. That'll do. Well, well we're, not, we're, not into the, not, we're not into the new place for a couple of weeks now, so it's a bit of a limbo. There you go. So where have you moved it all to? Good question, Steve. A lot of it's in my front room. <laughs> for fuck's sake. <laughs> I just... How? <sighs> what? Oh, nope. anyway. Speaking of um, shop moving and things like that, Steve, yeah. any new Thanks. any news, any anything? Uh, yeah, so did I say about the job last week that I've, I've got a job? About fucking time. <laughs> Do you want to fuck off? Uh, so yeah, I am now a uh, delivery driver for a local bakery. Um, nice. Which... It's fucking great because the bakery's been around for 110 years. Uh, it's like the the actual ovens are run 24 hours a day. So you go in there at like quarter to seven in the morning uh, to pick up the, the bread. And the room that all the bread's stored in is fucking lovely and warm because it shares a wall with the ovens. And, um, and it all just looks fucking cool. And I really want to make a video about making bread there. Um, like the style of videos that i want to kind of do are you allowed uh, to touch I, the bread steve uh i get have sick? to touch the bread i have to no so this is the thing is like everyone was like oh yeah it's really good you know if you want a, if you ever want a loaf of bread you never need to worry about it there's always some going spare i'm like yeah i can't eat any of this this is fucking torturous for me because it smells amazing and it's proper good like country oh, bread as well Oh, the best kind of bread yeah and uh yeah, so I can't uh, do it. But I mentioned to the uh, some of the people there that I kind of wanted to do a film. Then uh, the guy that got me the job, Ian, got super excited because the owner really wants to do a few films like that anyway. So there's a good chance I might actually get a start uh, doing some of them, which would be nice. great. Um, so yeah, did that. Uh, did a sticker sale because I had some uh, holographic stickers, uh, which... Sold really, really well. Everyone's been super lovely about that. And that meant that I was able to go food shopping. So, yay, food. Um, and yeah, uh, today, the reason we're, we're recording like 15 minutes late is because I got stopped on my walk around the village with Murphy before the pre-podcast walk uh, by Beryl, who owns the workshop that I rent in the village. Um and had a really nice chat with her. The workshop is powered again. Um, she moved back in, I think it was the day before the one year anniversary of the fire. Um, and apparently the, the the builders and the people still haven't completed all the work, but she's That's in. Like builders. She, I know, right? Um, but she's in and doing that. And she's more than happy for me to start working back down there again as well, which is great because that means that tomorrow I can get back from my job at like midday uh and then go straight down to the workshop and and make some stuff tell Um, them about the soup ah yeah so uh (laughs) i also yesterday made 
soup from the chicken. The the chicken from the last episode that co- that didn't cost twelve pounds, but the shopping cost twelve pounds. The uh, the carcass and the remnants left over from that all got cooked up with some. What did I put in it? I think I started off with uh, celery, carrots, and some onion because I had some leftover. Basic onion. French. Yeah, got that Mirepoix. cooking. With some, yeah, got that cooking with some olive oil. Uh, laid the kind of like once that was like sweated a little bit. Laid the uh, the carcass on top. Um, got that warming through. You had put the some, carcass. Yeah. Uh, put some. Um, what did was I tell it? you about the rabbits at Scouts that we skinned and cooked rabbits? No. When did you skin and cook rabbits? When was uh, this? So it must have been the day before last last time we recorded. And, yeah. Um, yeah, like half the scouts are vegetarian. The rest of them are like privileged little city kids who don't even yeah. know what in, where anything comes from. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, right, we're skinning rabbits. Like none of them stayed in the room and they just yeah. left. And the only person that stayed was one vegetarian <laughs> skinning these rabbits. It was great. And then cooked them on an open fire. Some of them like even tried it and stuff. It was great. Nice. I love I love proper rabbit like that. It's delicious. Um, but yeah, and... Uh, Chuck some other bits in with it, and then added in lentils, some red Great split tip lentils. Great What a good idea, putting lentils Which, in, as you can see. Yeah. I'd, I'd never thought of doing before, but uh, Mr. Halfpenny suggested that it might be a good idea to kind of bulk it out. And um, holy fuck, that is a hearty soup, and it's delicious. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have much in the way of herbs. I had no sage. I really want to put some sage in there, but... Go a bit too far with sage. Mm. Yeah. So it was... Oregano or oregano for those of us the other side of the pond, uh, and marjoram. I think I had nice. some dried marjoram kicking around, so I just chucked that in. I was looking for some tarragon, but I didn't have any. Um, and yeah, made it made a delicious soup. So if anybody wants to, oh, and Duncan came over. Duncan was here last night. Uh, little hobby shop, Duncan. Um, Texts me because he occasionally works in the West Country. And was driving home and was very tired, so needed to get a hotel for the night. And said, to, like, depending on which route he takes home, he can either come along the 303 and go pretty much right past my place. Or he can go to the other way, which is rubbish and doesn't go near me. Um, so I was like, come hang out. So he came over. We got pizza. Uh, his The hotel that he originally booked uh, was closed for refurbishment. So that was a nice surprise when he turned up at their door. Um, but yeah, it was really nice. And I got to see Duncan and talk about some cool ideas and stuff that Al, I need to talk to you about at some point as well. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just, it was good fun. I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, that, that was it. So now I, uh, the moving forwards and trying to segue, I have to start making stuff, uh, products and things um to to actually sell and make money from um and th- there's a chance that i might be doing a few like little commissions and things for a few people um i don't really want to take on a huge amount of commissions because i'd much rather make product rather than do commissions but if i do then you know there's going to be obviously time and money constraints around all of that uh which is something that i kind of trying to avoid but yeah, it needs needs must and all that. Um, but yeah, then then it, then it would be a case of of having to get it right. First time that I've done it, which segues beautifully into this week's topic. Uh, Mr. McAfee, would you like to take it from there? 
I hate that he still like mispronounces so my name it's on not purpose. It's not McCarthy, <laughs> Steve. Yeah, we discussed this on purpose. <laughs> that's why I did it. I'm so funny. Yeah. Yes. So, as as it was so well put by the wordsmith Marshall Mathers, you only get one shot when you work on these projects, and a lot of that is, like you said, Steve, time and money constraints. Right? If if we yeah. were all able to make two or three of the thing to make sure that we could problem solve and still have a, a finished piece that was the best of the best, we'd all do that. But yeah. realistically, if you know that you have limited amount of materials, also a limited amount of time and a delivery date looming over you or a client just kind of waiting for it, then what kind of tips, tricks, techniques, like what do you do to set yourself up mentally and physically to crack on with that project and not get held back by the, I have to do this right the entire time. I have to do everything right. Everything has to be perfect. Uh, Otherwise, it's a huge failure, right? I was chatting with Alex, as per usual, about this kind of thing because he's working on a gift for a friend of his. And he spent a lot of time working on it, and it got to the point where it needed to be... uh, a big glue up needed to happen and what ended up uh, transpiring was less than ideal. And within, I don't know, 20 minutes of a conversation with him, he was like, is it done? Do I have to start over or what do we do? And it's like, well, ideally we find a way to go forward progress from here. It took about 20 minutes and we got back on track. He ended up coming up with an even better solution and now he's pressing forward. So instead of having to completely restart, which was, many, many hours of his limited time that he's already got. Um, it's, it's what brought up this conversation topic. And I couldn't help but think of, saying, of things like Tira, where, Al, you were on a timeline plus 400 other things that you had going on for Maker Central that year. But when you made Tira, it was a series of, of like one-shots, right? It was like, I'm going to do this. Okay, that's done, and I know it works well. But then the problem solving that had to go into using the battery to power everything, and how is the charge going to happen, all of that wasn't the first, or it's not like you had done this a thousand times before. You understood the principles of it, but how did you know to just keep pressing forward, or, or how did you pace yourself, or were there ways that you kind of broke apart the processes so that you could do one thing at a time and nail it every time? Yeah, so I well, a big problem with trying to solve the whole thing at once, like the classic, you know, don't don't try to eat the elephant all at once thing. Um, and I struggle in breaking tasks down because I love I love closure, I love bigger picture, I love yeah, see seeing the, you know, Michelangelo's David within the marble. Mm-hmm. I love seeing the end thing. Um, but a little insider shack secret with every one of the things that were involved in that Brett so from like the the compression chamber that I needed to build for the for the air to like the trigger system on a 12 volt solenoid to you know every the folding mechanism right I knew all of those things needed to be done and they're all separate projects in their own right and things I'd never done before like how do I build something that holds that PSI what kind of plastic do I need how do I glue it what piping is it what's rated for that PSI how am I going to pump it you know what all that stuff but what I always do with things like that is I have at least two approaches for each of those things. 
So I don't just go in with, oh, I need to make it out of piping and Boop. then once when, once that's finished, I'll move on. Yeah, I go in going, right, I could just get a, a gas tank ready-made, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a just a, a CO2 tank or something that you'd use yeah. for um, like regular air in a shop. Or I can build one. Or maybe it's direct from the compressor. You know, yeah. I always have to think of several ways in for each of the, the processes just in case one of them doesn't work because I have no idea if it's going to work or not. And there's no point doing the project if the whole thing fails at step A or step C. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a total yeah. waste. Yeah. Oh, Steve. I think uh, I was just going to say, like, I think that kind of um, connects into what I was thinking when Brett was talking about the glue up going wrong mm. is the it it's very easy especially early on in a project to like if you if you fuck up to kind of go i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do a little bit more i'm just gonna keep going with this one and i think especially when you've got time constraints it's really important to remember the whole um sunk cost fallacy thing and be able to go no you know what if i carry on with this it's just going to cause me problems later down the line Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's more time efficient to stop now and restart rather than get further down and mm-hmm. still have to do mm-hmm. it absolutely or the opposite f- fucking up on it <laughs> absolutely or no or, fuck you or <laughs> not that no or the opposite where you, you you fail at a certain hurdle and it might be early on and then you think oh well i can't i can't do the project then yeah i, I can't make a t-shirt cannon because i can't get the air canister bit right yeah whereas actually if you stop and go there's probably other ways of doing that yeah what if i focus on the electrics next or what if I focus on building the carcass of the body or mm-hmm. the, yeah. carving the trigger? You know, like it, chunk that up and, and approach those as separate projects, and it makes it way easier. So that so so, I guess in a nutshell, what I'm saying is, Brett, my one shot holistically is one shot, but within that, I've got several shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, I, I just think you, you you're never going to hit. It. So your your one shot is kind of like a buck shot. It's the, a blunderbuss. Yeah. <laughs> She's got lots of projectiles. I'm Jumanji in that shit. <laughs> That's a fucking great quote. Um, but yeah, because I, I think like, for me, like it's really interesting you put it like that because it's something that I really struggle with with almost any project is I want to have the entire thing planned out in my head before mm. I even start buying materials mm-hmm. i want to know exactly but you, can, you can't you can't deal with the no. with the curveballs then if, you, if, no. that, if that's your approach like a, a yeah. linear track a, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's like, what yeah. happens if C doesn't exist? What happens if... Yeah. Same with the cars. Yeah. I can't get hold of part D anymore. So I need to rethink everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that's one of the uh, one of the places where I really struggle with projects like that. And I think that's why I struggle with electronics as well, because I, I want to know exactly what I'm going to have to do before mm. I start taking things apart, even though I don't... Like, it doesn't matter. And when I get over that um, and just kind of go with it, things always go much, much better, much smoother um, because you know, we're all fucking makers. We're all capable of adapting and, and changing. And like, even if I've got that plan and something changes and I have to adapt the plan, then it's fine. It's just that initial starting step for me is difficult when I don't know what the rest of the project's going to be. Mm. Like like Indiana Jones stepping, leaping from the lion's head, you know, scatters a bit of dust down first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's still that leap of faith, and you're still you're still going to get one yeah. shot with you as you're end up in the chasm. Yeah, but it's like do yourself a favor, you know, have, have that contingency plan, have have other ways in to get yeah. to the same to the same place. 
Mm-hmm. I think and there's no shame in that. It's not like oh, you pussy. Yeah. You know, it's 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 just pragmatism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that is similar to my approach, at least these days. Um, when I was younger, especially when I was doing illustration these work, days? <laughs> especially yeah. when I was in uh, art school and everything like that, it was just like I would just keep forcing a drawing. Because I didn't want to have yeah. to start over with the white sheet of paper, right? I had already made enough progress. But since then, I mean, it's been fucking forever since then. But I got used to just preparing a little bit better or being more pragmatic, yeah. as you're saying, where I always have another solution in the back of my head. I don't want to have to go there, but I do know that there's an out almost every step of every project that I'm in. Oh, if it goes wrong here, yeah. I'll know that I can shift this direction and make it... Uh, make it work for me. And the, the one that I'm dealing yeah. with right now, just to use the current example is the, uh, the, one of the fossil projects that I'm working on that big whale bone that I've talked about. Um, I already had a second option. If I didn't think I could really achieve the look that I wanted with this like eighth inch plate steel. And now yeah. I'm realizing that my backup plan, which is to use much thinner steel, like Al's cars, 32 gauge steel, I want to be able to have something that's malleable and very easy to move around, very easy to cut because it's thinner. So it's going to save me time all the way down the line to use a thinner material, but it's less forgiving, right? If I put too many donks and dings into it, it's not really going to stretch too much before I just start blasting through it. Easy, Steve. Yeah. Easy. But you know, just volumetrically, if I hit the steel too much in one area when it gets too cold because it's going to cool down faster, being that it's less volume, it's more susceptible to tearing, but I'll be able to move it a lot easier. That's the backup plan. Now, I'm going to mess those two worlds together because there are aspects of it that I don't need to move very much, and I just need like some light bending in there. So, save myself time. My backup plan actually becomes part of my main plan, but always contingency always nice yeah i mean like i think as well like if you're depending on what the project obviously like it's it's kind of hard to do when it's it's just vague of like a one one time build but like i think if you can be honest with yourself with the client with wherever this thing's going to end up um and just kind of say like look this is the first time i'm doing it like it might not be perfect Mm -hmm. if you can do that that's great if it's for a client that like that is just Joe blogs on the street customer, you might not be able to do that. You might have to go, um, you might have to just be like, no, th- yeah, of course I can do this. This will be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case, I think for that, you kind of have to have like your your MVP, your minimum viable product and go like, what, it, what do I need to achieve to make sure that this meets the criteria? Mm-hmm. Um, and what what is like a, an add-on or a, a bonus to that um, and just concentrate on getting that that minimum stuff and get that done like straight away um, but also being able to to adapt and, and again like if, if it is a case of it's your um, like your first time doing something and you're not sure if it's going to work and you're not sure how it's going to turn out and you're going to learn a lo- load of lessons then being okay with it not being perfect like the the example that keeps going back into to my mind is Brett, when you did the like the one day hammer build, um, and you did the the heat treat, and it it had a 
cracking it, the, the ball peen that you made. Oh, here we go. Oh, we got Brett's fucking blacksmith. No, 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 no. Because, like, it was the fact it's that it was... It's good that you don't do a good job. <laughs> I really like but... the way that you didn't make that hammer properly. <laughs> <laughs> but it it was the first, like, you, you said all through, like, this is the first time I've done this. I'm like, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know what's going to happen. But you put that pressure on yourself to get it done in a single day. And I guarantee you probably learnt more doing that hammer than if you spent three or four days and made the most perfect hammer ever mm-hmm. because you learned what not what not to do. But also you mm-hmm. you still walked away with a a viable product. It like that yes, that hammer had a small crack in it, but it was still perfectly usable. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Well and main thing uh, main thing that was learned during that is just don't put a bucket of water in front of your anvil. <laughs> when you have when you have steel that doesn't like water, yeah, don't keep a water bucket right next to your anvil. Um, yeah. You're right, though. I I learned a lot being under the time crunch, and I do think we've talked about that a little bit before. Where it's like, uh, I am someone who thrives on pressure, right, or timelines, yeah. or any kind of restriction. Um, yeah. That's when I really shine because I can come in and it's all about problem solving. I do like your approach, or at least the the way you kind of keep it in your head that it's minimum viable product, right? If somebody's like, can you do this? And whether it's because they just don't know anybody else, you're doing a favor, or maybe they are paying you or something. It's like, I know how to do what you're asking for. Minimum viable product. It may not be the most amazing thing that's ever been done, but I can achieve the goal that you're going for. It's something Jimmy used to bring up all the time. What is your goal? He'd always ask that. What is your goal? And then you go, oh, I just need to stick these two pieces of wood together. And he's like, then fucking shoot a screw through them. Why are you trying to do traditional yeah. joinery? Do you want people yeah, yeah. to know you do traditional joinery? No. Then put a screw in it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, as, it's like dovet- dovetails on the back of a drawer. There you yeah. go. Why are you doing it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there could be an argument there for the, the craftsman well, for strength notes. Well, yeah. craftsman <laughs> notes. Um, I've been thinking about Al's rotisserie, which I know you've used those plenty of times in, in your... Uh, cooking history but was that the first one you had ever built the one that you did yeah with the absolutely so how did you know this is something that i kind of want to present to both of you guys is where does the the difficulty kind of tip where you're not able to really deliver confidently or sorry you're not really to sign up for that confidently knowing that you can achieve the minimum viable product like steve or al in this uh example of the rotisserie there's not a million moving parts, right? It is relatively simple, but it does need to carry the weight. You need torque. You need a low revolution motor, you know, all that kind of stuff. But is that something that you're just, that makes sense to you. But if you started adding in too many other bells and whistles or too many other needs, would it start to get away from what you think you can deliver? Yeah. And I think if it, if it makes sense to me, it's doable, or, or and it's within my skill set, even if I've not done it before. Mm-hmm. So that that if I get it, I think I can achieve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're starting to ask things like "oh shit, I don't really know," or like "I don't think that's a good idea," I think that's when my creativity and my sort of problem solving starts to clash. Yeah. It's like if I don't think that's a good idea, even if you tell, but even yeah. if you tell me it's going to work, and this. This is sounds like a really sort of bad personality trait, but if if I if I don't think something's going to work, I 
I tend to not be able to achieve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if I don't think that's the best idea, and it, it sounds narcissistic, but it's like I, I'm at my most productive and my most creative when I can see it happening. I can see it yeah. working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I have faith in it. I guess it's faith. Yeah. Well, it's also about like knowing what the end product is is gonna do mm. and how it's gonna do it's it. Turn the meat round. Yeah. <laughs> but like, and if you can. Um, if you can like create creatively problem solve because you kind of you know right you're here and you need to get to there mm. but i think like like you say if you've got someone that's saying right but you need to go via here then that becomes almost yeah it becomes a roadblock and it, it becomes very difficult to creatively think around that because it's an idea <laughs> that like say you, if you don't agree with your brain naturally wants to avoid it anyway and like cut it out but i think for for me like it's the the point at which I kind of go, I'm not sure if I can deliver on that is when it's it goes into like non-transferable skills. If it's a technique that I've never done before, like I I would not take on a job where someone said, right, can you make me a chest of drawers and I want all the all the joinery to be dovetail joinery? Like I'd be like, no, I can't do that. I can make you a chest of drawers, but I can't do it out of dovetails because I just it's just not something that I've ever done or have any experience in but if i've got if it was something where you know someone wanted me to make a set of welded drawers i mean well i've never actually made drawers but you know i've i've welded stuff before and i i know how shit works so yeah i, I can do that um because it's those like transferable skills mm-hmm. um because the the one that um but like also if you can draw on other people's knowledge as well because the what the example i was thinking of was the um the spinning knife board thing that I made for <laughs> Charlie. Like that was, was a terrifying project. And I think if I took it on now, I'd be far more com- comfortable and confident doing it. But that was like- it's a fucking y- heavy project. I don't know about a terrifying project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was fucking huge. And it was, but the only bit that was sticking me was- The throwing how, knives. <laughs> was the, uh, the ball bearings. Oh, sorry, the bearings, because I've never worked with bearings before, but I had Jim on the phone and I could just ring Jim and be like, I don't know how to do this. What do I need to do to figure out how much weight it needs to take? How do I attach it to here? What can I use for this? And it was great because he just went, oh yeah, no, you just do this, this and this. Here's a website where you can get all of them and there's loads of options because I think that's the other thing is it's just demystifying stuff Um, because again, with like the electronic stuff, like a lot of that for me is it's just it's a mystery box that I can't, I don't understand what goes on inside, but having it demystified makes it so much easier to just jump in, even if I don't actually know all the things. Mm-hmm. So nice segue, Steve. So jumping into something without knowing all, do you guys know of the um, Auftrags tactique, like the no. German military approach? It, it's like basically common approach to military tactics was telling people exactly what to do. Yeah. You know, you, you had you had a general who gave out the orders and people blindly followed those orders mm. for better or worse. But Alftrag's tactic was like, I'm just going to tell you what needs to be done yeah. and I'm going to you fucking decide how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so take that hill by, by however means necessary. Yeah. Uh, make those shelves. Join that wood. Yeah. You know, and then you can bend your skill set to, to the assignment. Yeah. And be like, shit, we're de-, you know, 
I haven't got access to those tools. My workshop's burnt down, but I can do this, and I know I can pretty much get the same end result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Might be going around the houses, and it might not be conventional. I might upset a lot of Americans on the internet, but this is how I'm going to take that hill. Yeah. So that that for me is a really helpful approach to problem solving yeah. if I know what the end goal is. Because then all those steps in between, instead of that linear path of like, right, I've got one shot to get to, to, to tick all these boxes and do it all right. It's like, no, I can fucking zigzag all the way there. It doesn't matter. Yeah. No, I'm not being judged on that middle bit. I'm being judged on the yeah. end bit. It's about having like just the right amount of confinement in. Yeah. Because like, it's like when someone Within says, reason, you know, you're not yeah, wasting yeah. time, you're not wasting resources, you're not putting yeah. yourself in danger, blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah. But fuck off and I'll meet you at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is just reminding me of the lateral thinking stuff we've talked about before, where it was never about how you got to the solution of these mm. riddles and things that I've referenced before with my, my teacher. But it was just, however you get there, just give me an answer to the thing. Yeah. And even yeah. with what, you know, Steve's analogy and Al, your, uh, your ability to just go, yeah, I know you're telling me to do something, but you're actually making it more difficult for me to just go in the direction <laughs> that I want to go. I'm having this yeah. mental especially, especially if you're doing it once. If you're yeah. doing it once, it's not about like efficiencies or economies of scale or anything like that. It just needs, the thing at the end just needs to occur. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and so, you, so having... You do this like every single year for your company, for, for the holiday displays and stuff like that. I feel like every single year that you've done one of these things, it's always like, how did... Somebody came up with an idea to do this thing, and Al's just going to figure it out, which is your MO. Like, you're the guy who can effectively figure it out if it's within your wheelhouse, and your wheelhouse is very large. But you are capable of problem solving and keeping things in such a. I'll just say it like Steve says it. You don't have to make things well, you just make them to where they work. Yeah. And I have yet once. to see you. <laughs> yeah, once. And that's really it. Like, HB. HB, you were like, oh, I could do this, that, and the other thing to it. Did it function? Did it work in the video? Was it a brilliant idea? Yes. Everything about that was fantastic. And even when I went over to see it, you're like, oh, you just sometimes this thing happens or whatever. It didn't matter (laughs) because you knew all the solutions that you could put into place if you ever want to upgrade it to a 2.0 or a 3.0. But then approaching something like a coffee maker coffee table. Or any of just the silly, nonsensical things that no one else could go, why would you even do that? And you're like, because I only have to do it once and get the idea out of my head. Or it just has to be executed one time. And then it's it's as if that little uh, that little adventure has been taken, but you've gained more skills in the process. So everything just becomes this series of, yeah, I can do it once. Yeah, I can do it once. But I, I, th- I think... In my defense, I think I, think, <laughs> I wasn't even ragging on you. No, no, no. But but I I can I can see I can objectively see how that could look from the other side as well. But if you do go to the window guy to do your window display, or if you go to the the uh, like historical artifact stand company <laughs> to make your nautical <laughs> like. <laughs> fossil stands yeah you're going to just get the same shit yeah and it might be efficient and it might be quick and it might be you know 
expected and trust you know but it's just going to be the same mm-hmm. yeah and you're never going to get anything interesting you're never going to because because they are working to economies of scale and processes and oh we are oh, we've been doing this for 40 years of experience of making fucking stands for fossils it's like <laughs> i don't want you to make no stands i yeah. want the guy who's never done it before <laughs> yeah <laughs> because he's going to do something different and interesting yeah. and mm-hmm. it's going to make it and, and in in my sort of mindset about sort of branding for want of a better term it's always about the the unexpected and the differentiator, mm-hmm. right? It's it's what what is what makes you different to the twenty other fucking crisp packets on the shelf, yeah, figuratively and literally. Like what 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 is the point? Why yeah. bother if it's just another packet of crisps? Oh, because these crisps are in a tube and they're round and they're, yeah and they're hyperbolic paraboloids. Yeah, fuck me, that sounds great. Yeah, what are the flavors? Just cocaine. It's just <laughs> loads of cocaine and salt. Kids will love them. Yeah, I know everyone will love them. <laughs> Get them for Christmas. Yep. I mean, uh, yeah, I I love that, and I think crisps in a pipe. Are you fucking off your dish? Try it, mate. See what I want to know if that guy also was just like, you know, what you could do with a bit of tube? You can have a noisemaker. You can make a kaleidoscope. We'll have them in craft students. Keith, have you got rid of them fucking tubes yet? Yeah, some... <laughs> I got the potato guys on it. <laughs> See, yeah, I I I fucking love that, and I think you're. You're right. Like it's it's a case of, yeah, you know, the ingenuity tends to come from people that are doing something for the first time rather than people that are, are following a set pattern, um, or at least someone that's never done it before that's then trying to follow the set pattern. I think like it's it's very easy to to fall into a routine and stuff like that. But like the other thing that it kind of comes down to is like, is this going to be something that you're doing? regularly like like the whole point that of brett's original thing was it's it's a one-off it's not something you're ever going to repeat um you know we talked about the fact that you're not doing um like you're not you're not creating a product that you're then gonna um uh make hundreds of or anything like that like and and if you were yes you'd spend more time getting efficiencies in and, and all of that stuff but like you almost have to think about like set building like so a set for a uh tv show or for like theater something like that it just needs to look right it doesn't need to function really really well it just needs to serve its purpose for that amount of time then it's going to get taken apart and burnt or reused or repurposed or whatever so it doesn't have a um a particularly long shelf life it just has to have to to meet that criteria um and i think with a lot of like one-shot projects um that again that's kind of all they need to do is they just need to meet that that minimum criteria and go on from there well i know we were talking about this on the waffle me and the boys were talking about it on the waffle but uh i had watched um adam savage is going through this prop shop and there there's some big auction coming up or something but they were looking through the hero props of some of these old movies one of which happened to be krull which if you remember a few months ago, I was watching and like live reporting on how amazingly bad that movie was. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever actually seen a hero version of the Kroll blade. And um, they turn it around. Like in the video where Adam is talking about it, he's looking at it from the hero direction. And then when they turn it around, they show the mechanism, which is so, so brilliant and so well done, and you'll never see it. 
you'll never see it, but it's just a bit of, it's like rubber bands and stems, you know, and everything just kind of shoots the little blades out of the arms that are coming out of it. <laughs> the idea that they probably talk to, and I, I love that you made the uh, association with theater, it's the same thing in movies. The amount of times that there has to be one of something that shows up on camera and just looks great, but is on camera for maybe two seconds, and that's it. You know, or, or like it shows up periodically. The fact that they have aluminum versions of every sword in Lord of the Rings, as well as a hero piece. All the stuff in the fifth element are all these hero pieces, but, you know, lots of foam props and stuff like that. Some of my favorite films have these amazing props in them, but really there was one person whose job it was to go, we need one of these made well enough so that it looks good on camera, and then it'll go in a fucking storeroom forever after that the top uh, men the top men the aston martin that um uh casino rail sorry no that shelby was driving in the ford versus ferrari film i think he started out in a um aston martin that was actually a mx5 or a miata (laughs) to the americans uh with the with a just a body dropped on top of it and they literally just cut all the things out and just extended the pedals um, just to make it look roughly right. Like if you open the bonnet on it and see inside, it's a complete mess and it's just everything's like two foot back. Um, I just think it's hilarious that, that we as as people who make things, whether it's full time or not. Steve, when you're talking about product or something that needs to be sold or you're going into the shop and you want to actually make things to sell. There is going to be, you know, we know people, we are friends with people who sell things, including myself. They don't really serve a function other than being display pieces or hung on a wall. But this idea that you have the problem solving skills, you understand how to deliver on something that will function maybe for a night, like a theater, you know, and then it gets torn down and they reuse the timbers from, from whatever framing that you put up on the wall. This is why I keep going back to Tira is Al, that could have shot one time and we could have gotten it on camera and you'd be like, hey, I know that it worked once, but then you had to bring it to MC and boy, howdy, did it work again multiple times? How do you, how do you go from, this is my last question, but how do you go from something that will work once to something that you'll know that'll work long enough? (laughs) So they're, are they not the same thing? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, ooh. That's good. To me, they're the same thing. So, like, to But work, if Tira would have worked once, would you have been happy with that? Yeah. Oh. Especially with the fucking sound it made. But, yeah. No, but, but <laughs> to work enough times is, is the same thing as work once for me. Like, I, I, I was under no illusion that was going to work indefinitely. Yeah. Or work reliably or work year upon year i mean it didn't like the yeah. battery the battery system just stopped working mm-hmm. after after the first sort of six months yeah and i can no longer buy the battery packs for it because it was some bespoke shitty car battery jump start pack thing which they don't yeah. make anymore because the brand went bust because they were shit so it it does not work anymore yeah but it worked long enough for what i needed it for so yeah how long is a piece of string you know, do you need it to work for five years? Like they don't yeah. make cars to last longer than five years anymore. Yeah, literally, like one one liter EcoBoost engines 
do not last. Yeah. Because that's how long the life cycle of a car is now. That's how long the warranty is and that's how and you're meant to buy a new car every three three years. Yeah. I mean they're designed like, that way. Yeah. But the, again it that it comes back to the minimum viable product. Like what what do you consider to be good enough? Like is once good enough? Is twenty times good enough? Is if you want it to work indefinitely, then all of a sudden that stops from being a a one off custom piece to being a essentially a product no then but you then, ha- you, then you need to think about shit I need to make a pair of shoes where I can resole yeah it's right to repair all of a sudden it's not exactly. yeah. I need a mobile phone every year yeah. because it you stops need- working yeah you need yeah then when you start thinking about longevity then it becomes a much more complex thing if it's a again it depends what it is like if it's a static thing if it's a sculpture or a, a stand for something or something like that that's not gonna that has no moving parts that's not gonna degrade over time that doesn't require battery upgrades and shit like that like then yeah you just make it and it's it's done but if it's if it's something that has um the ability to to break then you you think about that when you when you're building it and you again it comes down to you know are you doing this for a set or are you doing this as a thing that someone's going to use every day in which case you put a lot more time and effort into it and you generally with something like that you tend to use known quantities so you'll you'll use a a bearing that you know is going to work. You'll use a battery pack that you know is replaceable yeah. and that is kind of a standard that you can... Or, or you build what you're doing around the fact that you have yeah. to open a hatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So like the, the massive table I made... like I forgot you made that table. Yeah, it's fucking, th- you know, three-inch oak. Yeah. Which isn't going anywhere for 50 years. But I built into it thinking that it yeah. will need to be f- finished every year. Yeah. You know, if it's sitting outside, it needs, you know. So you, you have to think about these things if you want it to be not just a, a prop, to, like mm-hmm, to your point, yeah. Brett. Like, look at a gremlin from the movie Gremlins now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's just a disintegrated pile of, like, scabs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, lo- it looks like something from Gremlins. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> because it was never designed to last that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but, but building in that sort of, um, not redundancy, but like, the repairability to, yeah repairability but thinking about thinking about it if it's yeah. a one shot but actually has to last yeah you know how how are you gonna how are you gonna rehandle the axe yeah if you if you've built the socket wrong well that, the thing is, is 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 that then a one shot or does that then become a custom like as in a custom you do piece? on purpose it's the, it's, yeah. the, it's the never never yeah everlasting light bulb paradox yeah, yeah. De- deliberately make maybe brett deliberately made his hammer shit so when it, it wasn't shit. It was a good hammer. It just dropped, hey, got dropped in some water. Told me he still uses it. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Serves but, its um, purpose. I love yeah. the I, I love end- the never-ending light bulb thing, Al. That's a conversation that came up all the time in school because of engineering. And yeah. we're talking about designing products, and then it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you don't actually know how those things are built, or it was all the people that. Had, including myself at that point in time, I had no fucking clue how things were made or what they were made out of. So it's like, yeah, there's just a thing here and they go, right. How do you take the battery out? And you go, Oh shit. Okay. Well that explains why every toy that was battery operated when I was growing up had two little screws and a little hatch somewhere. (laughs) I always go, Oh, it looks so ugly. Where else were you going to put it? Yeah. 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 But, um, uh, I had a really good segue into spliff, spiffing then. And, spliffing. Spliffing. <laughs> and, uh, and it's completely gone now. So instead, I'm just going to talk about the fact that being able to repair stuff is spiffing. 
Go. In which case, Al, have you got an order? Yeah, it's sab. Sab, which means I'm going to go first. And I, uh, because it's it was spooky season, um, there's a bunch of spooky stuff on uh, all stuff. of your streaming platforms and everything else. Um, and it's not really my sort of thing. Like, I, I'm not a huge, um, like, horror fan. But... Uh, I can't pronounce his fucking first name. Gil- Guillermo. 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 That's Del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. It's, it's William in Spanish. <laughs> uh, Will, Will Del Toro's uh, Cabinet Billy, of Curiosities. Billy, Billy the Bull. <laughs> Billy the Bull. <laughs> yes. Uh, Cabinet of Curiosities on Netflix. I've only seen the first episode and it was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, Is it a serial it is. It's a. Uh, it's kind of like um, the Love, Death, and Robots, where it's Ooh, a nice. bunch of like completely separate, different stories. An anthology. Um, yeah, and they're all filmed in different ways. They're all starring different people. Rupert like Grint is in one of them, uh, who was Ron Weasley. So that's nice. Um, Which but yeah, is nice. Uh, Oddly, yeah. a reference to the Fast Show, where the guy saying that plays his dad. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. See, uh, and it all connects back together. Um, but yeah, uh, that's it's, a segue. It's really good. So you should you should check that out because it's enjoyable. Uh, I've forgotten what order you said it was. Was it Sab? Yep, Sab. So Al, you are next. So I'm I'm going to spiff an ex colleague of mine, and I might have talked about him a long time ago on the show, and um, he did a project called One Year on a Bike, and he basically quit his shitty job in a design agency and went around the world on a bike. And he took his camera with him and went to like Afghanistan and made a book, and it's beautiful. This doesn't sound relevant to you at all. And I kind of forgot, because this was like five or six years ago. Yeah. Um, and then YouTube recommended his YouTube channel. Nice. I'm like, oh, I don't know he had a YouTube channel. And he has got a YouTube channel, and it's fucking glorious. And he's recently bought a, like an abandoned sheep's cabin in the Italian Alps that he's been refurbishing. And like, re- and it, so he's 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 Dutch, and he lives in Italy, and he's and he's just completely redone this cabin, and it's fucking glorious. Amazing. So his name his name is Martin Doulard. So that's Martin with a J in an un- inappropriate place. <laughs> and Doulard, D-O-O-L-A-A-R-D. I'll put it in the shouts. But nice. the channel is fucking glorious, and his cinematography is great, his photography is great. You're great. Lots of, sex, lots of sexy drone shots. Um, but he, the, one of his videos is three and a half hours long, Ooh. and it's just him renovating these chalet, the, like they're just little stone huts, they're like sheep's huts, yeah. like shepherd's huts mm-hmm. that would be used intermittently throughout the season. And he's just re-roofed them. He's built, like, toilets and stuff. It's incredible. So, And uh, he's got a chimney. Nice. I, I like it already. Um, so when you were talking about um, redoing chalets, it reminded me that when I was younger, I thought chalets and shallots were the same thing. They're and both they're, French. Yeah, this is true. Uh, Brett, what about you? Who do you want to spiff? 
Well, I'm glad I'm staying on the trend of talking about medias, because you guys know I'm always on the hunt for new stuff. Uh, so if you have not heard of or seen, it's on Netflix, and it's called RRR. And it is a... It is an, oh, the, yes, yes. It is an Indian film. Is that film. with Ryan Reynolds and Jeff Bridges, where yeah. they play like a futuristic yeah. police department? <laughs> God, I watched that. That movie was bad. No, RRR. Um, I, I, do, I do always like going off the uh, beaten path for foreign films. It Turns out... No, God it damn it, Al. Stop it. I say I like going off the beaten path, but this is one of the like most expensive, biggest productions that has ever been done in the country of India. And they yeah. have like... The Steven Spielberg of directors and the two top male actors as the leads opposing each other. And it is, you want to talk about delivering minimal viable product on that scale where it's like, you know, there's degrees of Bollywood in there. There's dancing and there's singing and there's cultural stuff that we just don't put in movies or that, that is atypical for say like American cinema. But oh my god, I found myself like laughing and then being like completely mortified by some violence, but not gore, just violence. The CGI is it's like a give and take the entire time of like, oh that scene looked really good, and then the next one going, What what PlayStation video game did they take that scene from? It's very bad. Um it is beyond delightful. Uh, and it's just my opinion, my humble opinion. But that movie is super worth a watch. Be ready, because it's three hours long. <laughs> but I had a good time. Andre su- Stevenson's in it. Say what? Andre Stevenson's in it. There you go. I just there's there's so many good things about this movie, <laughs> and there's just as many things to kind of giggle at. Uh, and it's it's like part of the fun of that film. It's been out for a few months now, and I heard a lot of good things. The Corridor Digital guys that I've spiffed on here before did like a, an effects breakdown of it, and it's been talked about. It's been talked about many, many times over the last few months, but if you have a Netflix account or you can steal one from somebody else, I don't know, put it on in the background. It is three hours long, but <laughs> give it a shot. I had such a good time watching that film. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, uh, is there any other business? There is. Um, Excitement and planning is already starting to bubble around Maker Central next year. I appreciate it's only November, um, or as the Americans call it, September. Um, And we could... There's a 9-11 joke. Um, And it would be great if people could start thinking... It wasn't a joke about 9-11. It was a joke about the Americans getting dates mixed up. Um, And... Yeah, it would be great if people could start thinking if they want to be there, if they want to be involved. Yeah, the the uh, make with maker stand is bigger than it was last year, cool. um, and we've got opportunity to do some amazing stuff. And Bartholomew, no, no, you finish your line of thinking. I haven't any other business that I thought of. All right, cool. fantastic. Yeah, crack on. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was it. This is just a reminder for everybody that we have an email address. Yes, I want. I want oh, emails. Oh, oh, oh. We haven't had email of the week for you. I no, want emails. I want random questions. I want 
topic idea. I want goofy shit getting sent to us. Just take a swing at Steve. No one cares. We'll have a good laugh. I think he's the only one that has access to the email, but I'll get yeah, in there and try it. and catch it before he deletes it. I just I, I every time I get an email to that thing, unless it's like a complete spam one, I just screenshot it and send it to you guys so you see all the emails as well. Perfect. So, so it's hello yeah. at fwt.fwd. No, it's hello at fwtpodcast.com. There we go. Um but yeah, uh there was Make a central, make a central, make a central. There was something about make a central I needed to see. Oh no, I need to speak to someone. That's fine. Uh, so uh, definitely do that because and if you if you've never been to make a central, you should definitely go because it's, it's gonna be fucking great and there's gonna be even more people than ever and I might actually be able to like experience some of the event this year, which would be fun. Um, so yeah. That's it. If you want to get hold of us, you can find us in all of the usual social media places. You can find me at Moonshine Metaworks. You can find Brett at Skull and Spade 13. And you can find Al behind the one-eyed cat. Al's Jack Shack! <laughs> uh, and if you want to find us as a group, then we are FWT Podcast or Fools with Tools in all of the places. As Brett mentioned, there is, of course, the email address you can email to, which once more is hello at fwt send us dad podcast. jokes yes send us all kinds of jokes you know, it's, uh, not you oh, martin jokes not martin don't send any jokes you're not you're not as funny as you think you are um no nor are you tim uh but yeah that's it so until next I week you had to go i do until Stop next week we love you all and goodbye <laughs>